The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're now going to turn to God's Word. Um, I'm very excited about this. So we, as some of you might not, may be familiar, um, David McCurdy is an elder candidate in the church. Um, he uh, oversees all of our children's ministry stuff at, and does a fantastic job with it. Um, but David is uh, a very good friend of mine and leads, uh, helps lead uh, the church with me. Um, and so he is going to be preaching in our series on the Psalms this summer. Um, David told me that I couldn't say very much about him because he gets embarrassed. So don't, don't draw too much attention to him, but you're going to stare at him for the next 40 minutes. So, <laughs> so David, would you come and preach from John, Psalm 50? All right, as Jacob said, we're going to be in the Psalms. We're uh, taking a break from our uh, 1 Corinthians series uh, over the summer here as we're uh, without some of the people that we uh, normally see as they're on vacations and stuff. So um, although the Psalms are written thousands of years ago, there's lots of uh, good stuff in there for us to, to see. So we're going to start by reading our, our passage. So Psalm 50, turn with me in your Bibles there. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen right here behind me, so don't worry. I'll start in verse 1. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth, let he may that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. <clears throat> I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes, or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done. I have been silent, and you thought I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. 
Now let us pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord, the truth that you share, and out of your love, you provide this word so we could learn more about your character, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, as it's a warm day, that you will help keep our minds active and our hearts as we listen to what your word says and how it affects how we live, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Our culture today uh, is very uh, all about justice. It's very passionate and very interested in justice. Uh, you can see this a lot in our TV shows. Like during the day, you can see Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, People's Court, and the list goes on and on. Uh, at night, we have, uh, <clears throat> in prime time, we have NCIS, CSI, Law and Order, Blue Buds. Um, it's just, it's all over our TVs. It's in the books we read, like uh, Josh Grisham, or John, yeah, John Grisham, and James Patterson. Uh, it's also in the news. Uh, you can't look a uh, day uh, uh, without seeing a headliner of something about social justice. So why? Why is our culture so interested in justice? Um, I believe it all starts back in Genesis, where God created man and woman in his own image. And God is a, a just God. He cares about justice. And uh, it permeates his scripture. We have the Ten Commandments uh, in the beginning. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy has lots of laws. Um, the book of Judges, um, in the book of Prophets, and uh, you know, all, all the prophets, they talk about the social injustice and things that people were doing against God's laws. Um, even the gospel, which we might not necessarily think of, has to do with justice. How, how can God, who is just, dwell with people who are sinners? And that's, that's kind of the core of, of the gospel. Um, all, all too often, us as Americans, and I'm sure probably the rest of the world, uh, we don't generally like laws. Uh, here in New Hampshire, we live free or we die. So we, we don't really like laws. Um, and there are some good laws or some bad laws. And um, they're often created you know, out of good motives, but in the end, their, their uh, result might not be as good as we might hope. Um, but ultimately, God is uh, the ultimate lawgiver, and he, his justice is uh, what we should seek. And what we don't necessarily see in justice is God's love behind it, where his heart is and where, where he's coming from when he says, you know, thou shall not kill. So that's what we're going to see here. Um, in Psalm 50, uh, we have a courtroom. Um, we see God, God is the judge here in the courtroom, and uh, he's also the district attorney. So he's the person that's bringing the accusations against you. Um, so he calls the whole world together to this court. Well, this court's a little different than we often think about courts today, because um, there's juries that often declare whether somebody was uh, guilty or not guilty. Um, in Old Testament times, uh, judges were set up uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, we see, and um, they were to judge what was right and wrong. Uh, they were supposed to be just and wise, impartial, and exact God's righteous judgment. They, they represented God, God's authority. 
Uh, now, the, these people were just men, obviously, so they were uh, fallible, unlike God. Uh, in this courtroom, we're going to see today two groups of people on, on trial. Um, first of all, we have people that are doers of God's word, but not lovers of him. So they, they hear his word, they keep his commandments, they do diligent work to do everything that God has commanded them to do, but they don't love God. And we're going to see that ultimately God wants that love. Um, the other group of people are people that speak God's word, but they don't do it. We would call these hypocrites. Um, so through, through this trial, we're going to see God's character and how it calls for our love. So the, the main point today is God's character shapes how we love him. So as we learn more about God, uh, this knowledge will shape our hearts and our minds in a way that we will just naturally want to love, to love God, and not out of fear. So uh, we're going to start off the first point. We're going to see verses 1 through 6 that God's righteousness and justice calls for our reverent love. So um, in, the first, in the first six verses, uh, we're going to see God's credentials to judge. We often say, what right do you have to judge me? You know, you can't tell me what to do. I hear that a lot from children. Um, but us as adults, we say the same thing. You know, what, what right? So we're going to see what um, right God has to judge his people. What, what uh, characteristics of God uh, gives him this right? So the first point is um, that he's almighty, all-powerful. And we're going to see the first in verse 1. Uh, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. God is the creator. He made everything, and everything is under his power. So he has the authority to call the whole world to him. And we have to listen. We don't have a choice. Like, he made us. Just kind of like a car. Like, we, we make a car, we put a steering wheel in, and it does what we want it to do most of the time, unless it breaks down, of course. But uh, you know, we're the creator, and it does what we want. Uh, same way with God. He created us. If, he, if God calls us, then we have to go. Um, in verse 3, we see that he is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest. And we're going to flip back here to Exodus for a minute, just to kind of flesh that out a little bit. Um, here, the children of Israel just uh, got out of Egypt, and uh, God was meeting with them on Mount Sinai. Uh, so we're going to read that uh, in Exodus 19, starting in 16 through verse 20. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went. Now, this is quite a, a terrifying scene we, we see here. Um, God in fire. 
and smoke obviously from that fire and the the uh, mountain is shaking and he speaks in thunder like just if you put yourself in that situation I know I wouldn't want to be like Moses and go up on that mountain um, but you may think well how does this create love um, it should create fear and yes we should be in uh, afraid of God because of his holiness however um, we should also love him for it. Um, often, uh, well, pretty much everybody looks up to their father, um, and they desire to, you know, have a, a good relationship with their father, and they seek their approval. Uh, we seek our fathers. Um, we see that he can do no wrong for the most part. And uh, I don't know what your um, life is with with your father, and it might not be this way, but God the ultimate father is holy and righteous and we, we can trust in that. Um, often I feel like I'm not a good father myself, um, that there's so much more I could be doing with my children uh, and sharing the gospel with them. And, but God has got my back, I know, and he's got everybody else's as well, that everything does not rest on us. Everything doesn't come down to what we do. Ultimately, we can't cause the salvation of our children. Um, it's not our power, it's God's power. So I, I take comfort in that, knowing that God is in control and that I can, um, I can trust him to take care of that. Uh, the second point we're gonna look at here is God is righteous. So that righteousness is another Another reason why God is the perfect judge. Uh, verse 6, it says, The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. And I've also often heard that passage, and I'm like, well, how does God's righteousness be seen, you know, in, in the heavens? Um, you know, the blue sky doesn't say, oh, I look at the blue sky and God's righteous. Um, but how it works is, is God is a creator. He made everything. And he is a standard, ultimately. We all are under his, under his rule. So ultimately, God is a standard. And we see, the, we see the creator when we look up at heaven. And he has made these laws. But he not only... Uh, made these laws and is holy, he also calls us to be, to rise up to his standard. Uh, and the, it says in the Bible, be holy for I am holy, a pretty, pretty common uh, scripture verse. Um, but how can we be holy like him? Um, that should instill some fear in us, but also love. Um, God, God's justice is the counterpart to his his righteousness. Um, he sets a standard, but he also enforces it. He's not a God that says, be holy as I am holy, but I know you guys are sinners, and well, it's okay if, if you sin from time to time. That's all right. As long as you do more good than bad, you know, you, you'll be able to, you'll, you'll be good. Don't worry about it. That's not the God that we, um, that we love and that we serve and that created us. He sets a standard, and he desires us to follow that standard. 
Um, so kind of one way to, to explain this concept more in regards to love is, is we take a look at our superheroes. Like superheroes are everywhere. Um, everybody loves them. Uh, Captain America is uh, who we're going to look at today. He's so much stronger than us. He can leap whatever, 100 yards or whatever. Like he just does amazing things. And he does it out of uh, justice. Like, you know, he has the shield, the star on it. And um, he, we, we look up to him because we, we can't do that. We don't have the power to do it, but we want to be like him. And uh, we admire him for doing things out of justice. So we look at Captain America, but then we look at God. Um, God is a million times more than Captain America could be. He is infinitely powerful and infinitely more right. And therefore, he's qualified to provide perfect justice. So we should look up to God because of his power and because of how right he is. Because that, that's what we ultimately want for ourselves and that's what he wants for us. Uh, the last thing we're going to look at is he is the lawmaker. In verse 5, it says, Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So God wanted to have a relationship with man. He came down uh, from heaven. He wanted to dwell in the camp of the Israelites. However, the Israelites were sinners. Um, so in order for God to dwell there, he had to create a way to have an area that had to be clean as opposed to unclean. And in order to do this, he created the sacrifice, uh, the sacrificial system. But he, ultimately, he created it because he loves us. Uh, we're going to see in the next part that God made these laws out of love. And then we should follow him, follow them out of love. So back to our main point, God's character shapes how we love him. Uh, we see here in this section that God's character of being all-powerful, righteous, and law-giving creates in us an awe-filled and reverent love of God. Uh, the next part uh, we're going to see, the second point is, God is self-sustaining and desires a wholehearted love, our wholehearted love. So it's, uh, I'm going to read seven verses 7 through 15 together for you. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do we eat flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of the trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So the people here, uh, the first people we're going to see on trial, are people that are doing the, what the Lord commanded. He commanded to do these sacrifices and they were wholeheartedly doing them. However, they weren't doing them because they loved him. They were just doing them 
because they were told to do them, and that was it. So God sets out to set a right understanding of these commands that he gave them and why he gave them to them. Uh, First of all, in verse 10, we see that God possesses everything. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. So God owns everything. Everything in this world is his possession. He created it. Um, Often when Jacob uh, talks about tithe, he says that we're not paying God off with these tithes and offerings, uh, which which is very true. Since God owns everything, how can we give him something that he already owns? Um, it's not the, the money that God wants. It's our heart in wanting to join with um, his work and our love out of him that we give our money to him. Uh, in verse 12, we see that God needs nothing. It says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Uh, before the world began, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in perfect unity. They had a perfect relationship. They didn't need to create the earth. However, they decided to do that with a desire to love them. So why, why are these sac- sacrifices here? Why, why is God talking about sacrifices um, often we kind of glaze over um, the books of like Leviticus when we're you know, reading through the Bible in a year that some of you guys might be working on. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy, they kind of are boring and have lots of weird things, and we're like, you know, what, what does this stuff mean? Um, but actually, the book of Leviticus is actually going to be the key to understanding this passage that we're looking at. Uh, in verse 8, we see burnt offerings mentioned. Um, now, obviously, we don't do burnt offerings today. So what were these burnt offerings? Um, they were offerings that were created to atone for the people's sins, so to cover them, because God wanted to dwell with them. And in order for him to do that, because he's a holy God, they had to have a way to make themselves clean. So these sacrifices were for just for that, that purpose. So they were necessary. People had to do them. Um, God was not upset that they, um, that they weren't doing these. They were doing them diligently. But we're going to see how he contrasts them with Thanksgiving offering to really see what God's heart is for the burnt offerings. In verse 14 to 15, he says, Offer to God a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So this sacrifice of thanksgiving was another sacrifice uh, you can read about in Leviticus. Um, And that was a a peace offering. It wasn't uh, because God told you to do something. It was because you wanted to give this offering to God. Um, Often this would be celebrated um, with a priest and family and friends. It was a joyous occasion. And it came from out of love. Um, We also see vows mentioned here. Vows were a special commitment that people can make to God. Uh, one of the most famous ones is the, the Nazarite vow, um, where, where they grow their hair out, they don't, um, they don't drink wine. Uh, there are several other things involved in that. But the, the goal ultimately was to set them apart 
for God. So God may ask for sacrifices. They may be necessary. But as we see, he doesn't need anything. It's, it's the act of obedience and heart behind the sacrifices that God wants. And why, why are we doing this? Um, Hosea, we're going to flip to Hosea quickly. He kind of lays this out for us. Uh, he's one of the minor prophets. Minor, not of importance, but just because of the size of the book that he wrote. So Hosea 6, 4 through 6, we're going to read. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? He's referring to Israel. Your love is, the, is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as a light. For I desire steadfast love, and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So God doesn't want, God desires our sacrifices from our hearts, not the sacrifices themselves, but where, where our heart is coming from. Uh, the, the book of Matthew, I'll flip there real quick. Um, Jesus is going to shed some light uh, on this for us. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Um, it's not up there on the slides. So I'm going to read it for you guys. It's Matthew 5, 21, 22 we're going to read. Um, You've heard that it was said of, of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So, the, the Ten Commandments are one of the things that we, um, as well as the people in, in Psalm 50, are going to be judged by. And we see here that Jesus takes the outward act of murder and applies it inwardly. And our inward actions and our heart is actually just as important as what we do on the outside. Uh, we're going to see this in 27, 28 as well. It says, you have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. So God cares about what's in our heart, and it matters. Flip real quick uh, to Matthew 22. Um, This will really put this into perspective for us. Uh, Matthew 22 34 through 40. This is Jesus going to be speaking here in a minute. Uh, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. So the, the greatest commandment, God says, is to love God. Jesus says, Jesus is God. Is, is to love God. So all the other commandments that he gives us should be based out of that love that we have towards him. Not because he told us to do it, but because we love him. 
Um, God created these laws because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. He, he doesn't need anything. He didn't create us because he needed us. Often, uh, well, pretty much everybody who seeks out love nowadays uh, and in the past as well, um, it's because they need something. There's a hole inside them that they're looking to fill. But God doesn't have this hole. He doesn't need, he doesn't need our love. However, he desires it. He created us to have a relationship with us. And that should instill in us a greater love for God. So it's, it ties back to the main point. God's character shapes how we love him. Uh, here we see that God's self-existent character creates a completely devoted love to us. We will give all our love to him because he loved us. Now we're going to look at the, the last point here. Um, and it's going to be the, the, other, the other people that God is talking to. The third thing we're going to see is God is holy and desires our obedient love. So let's look at uh, verses 16 through 21. But the wicked, but to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statues or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You keep your mouth, you give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. So to kind of lay this before you. Uh, imagine uh, a Red Sox fan. Not that hard to imagine, right? Most of us are probably Red Sox fans, hopefully. And uh, let's say you, you have a friend who loves Red Sox too. You always talk about it, you know, at the water cooler. Um, you know, the, the game before, you're, you're excited if they won and sad if they lost. And your friend gets a, a ticket to a Yankees game. He wins it on a on a radio thing, and so he goes, and while he's there, he, uh, he ends up buying a uh, Yankees t-shirt. So he comes into work the next day, and he has his Yankee t-shirt on. And your, your mind's just blown, like, how could this person who professes to be a Red Sox fan ever think about having a Yankees t-shirt on? It's just despicable. Um, well, the people in this section are kind of like that. They recite the Abrahamic covenant. They, uh, they probably have the book of Leviticus memorized. Um, they say, you know, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of Abraham. You know, I'm blessed. And, you know, they probably did all the required sacrifices. It doesn't say in the passage, but, you know, they probably did everything that was required. Um, all these things are good, and what they're saying is good. Then out of their mouth comes evil. They slander their brothers and they deceive people. They, they don't they tell, tell the truth. They, they distort the truth in order to get their ways. Uh, in the book of James, uh, James talks about the tongue. 
And he says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be. So besides doing this, um, we see in verse 18 that they, uh, they condone theft. Um, they also hang out with adulterers. So they weren't actively stealing. They weren't committing adultery. However, they were towing the line. And in their hearts, whether they, just because they weren't doing it on the outside, in their hearts, they were. And as we established earlier in Matthew, that um, you know, what happens in our heart is what matters as much as what happens in real life. Uh, so verse 21, we see that um, the problem these people are, heaving, see, are having is that they're not perceiving God right. It says that um, these things you have done and I have kept silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. So they think that God is ambivalent, like he doesn't care. However, what he's actually having was grace on them. Uh, without grace, everybody would be dead. Uh, in, in the New Testament, it says the wages of sin is death. So you know, based on that, if God wanted to, as soon as a person sinned, they could die just like that. Thankfully, God is not that way. God is a God of, of grace and allows people the opportunity to repent. But he will, he will judge. Um, as we said earlier, he's a devouring fire and a mighty tempest. Um, it says in the book of Hebrews, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I'll, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So if these, if these people continue to uh, rebel against God and, and uh, you know, continue on their ways, there is going to be judgment. Um, often in the Psalms, we hear uh, David and the other psalmists cry out to God for justice because it seems like all the wicked are prospering and all the people that are following God are kind of being downtrodden. Um, so justice is important. And we're going to see uh, real quick in Revelation that there is going to be final judgment for these people. So Revelation 20... We're going to read 11 through 15. We're, uh, we're about wrapped up here, guys. I know it's really hot in here and it's hard to stay awake. If I was not up here, I would be struggling as well. So thankfully, uh, thankfully I'm up here today. So, so Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, uh, the white representing holiness, and him who was seated on it, which is God, from his presence, earth and sky, and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Once again, this goes back to God being the creator, and the creation can't hide from the creator. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a very, uh, very powerful text and a very, a very scary text. Um, but it's still part of the Bible and still God's word. It, God's justice is going to come out. And it's going to happen. Um, and whether we see it right now um, or not, ultimately, it's going to happen. So as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit that will help us uh, not to continue to live in sin. And we're going to struggle. It's going to be challenging. Um, but God sends his spirit to help us. Um, however, this does not mean we're going to continue in sin because we have grace. Um, just because we're forgiven doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. Um, often, Christians will take that stance, um, but it is not what God says. If we love him, we'll do what, he's, what he commands us to do. Um, so to wrap up this point here, um, we see that our holy God is just, and that we should obediently love him because he loves us. All right, let's wrap it up here, guys. So we have uh, the conclusion here of, uh, of Psalms 50, uh, verses 22 and 23. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation. I just want to, in closing... Um, highlight the, the last verse here. It talks about salvation. Let's go back to uh, the courtroom that we see in Revelation chapter 20 that we just saw. Um, and imagine yourself, imagine yourself there, and God is laying out everything that you've done, every lie that you've said, every lustful thought, every angry thought you've had about somebody one after another. He has a book that has them all. And he lays them forward. And then he asks, what do you have to say for yourself? And what are we to say for ourselves? Um, it's all true. And there's nothing really we can say. Um, but then a, a man appears and, and speaks up that you didn't see before. He's standing next to you now. He says, uh, my name is Jesus, and I, I represent this man. He says, uh, Yahweh, Father, this man is innocent. God, God asks, what, uh, what evidence do you bring that this man is innocent? I laid all these charges before him. What, what is your evidence? And then Jesus shows God his nail-scarred hands. And God looks at them and he says, not guilty. I want to make this plea to you guys today that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. 
And my heart is that you accept this offer of love. It's a free gift, but you need to, you need to accept it. Don't go before the judge without Jesus as your defense attorney. Because you, you can't defend yourself. There's no way. So I'm going to end us uh, with this hope in verse 15. It says, Call upon me in the day of the trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.